Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Uh, it's going okay. Um, I don't really feel like I have anything really big to report or anything really big going on. Did, did I miss something in the news or anything? Uh, I yeah, I did. I have been in rehearsal, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Well, I can't even tell. You might be doing a bit. I don't even know. <laughs> no, I wasn't doing a bit. I was legitimately just like, I don't know. And so I've been sort of busy this week, so I haven't really been paying super close attention to a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. I've just been practicing and then sleeping and dosing up on cold meds and then practicing some more and then sleeping and then rehearsing. But, you know, it's very exciting for me uh, because I'm playing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony for the first time. I've never played it before. And um, it's very exciting. I've, I've played all the other Beethoven symphonies, but I've never played nine because it like for half of one movement, for those of you who don't know Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, for half of one movement, there are four soloists, vocal soloists and a full choir. So if you're an orchestra, that means you you have to hire a full choir and four vocal soloists for like half of one movement, which is so expensive. So a lot of orchestra, it's also a really big orchestra. So a lot of um, orchestras just don't do that one unless there's a big reason to do it because, you know, or you can get a free choir who's good. So the, so, so the orchestra I'm playing with today worked out a deal with a local college and, you know, that's how I get to do it. I'm very excited. This is, the theme of the concert is um, like a blend of uh, patriotism and hope. And I have a feeling that go vote is going to be a theme in the in the speeches at the start. I don't know yet. We'll see. Um, but that was sort of the um, – we're also doing the Lincoln Portrait. Do you know the Lincoln Portrait by Copeland? Yeah. Yeah. So some of those lines were hitting really hard in rehearsal the other day. I was like, keep it together, Kulzik. Don't start sobbing about the state of our democracy right now. That won't help your tuning. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 hopefully going to be a lovely concert tonight. So that's put me in a very positive headspace. Well, that's good. That's really good. I, I just wish Ludwig had done more thoughtful consideration of music economics in the future when he composed the night. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't. He never gave a shit about that, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did not. No, not at all. Um, but uh, but he also didn't care about my fingers because there's a lot of really, really fast stuff. It's so fast. There's so many notes. It's just crazy. Yeah. Beethoven didn't care about whether things made sense in the violin. Mendelssohn did. Tchaikovsky did. Beethoven didn't. But anyways, that's a conversation for another time and a different podcast. We are here to talk about television. And before we get into that, I wanted to mention a few listener feedback things we got. Um, Carl, you know, everybody's favorite t- TV podcast listener, Carl, made us – he called it a pixel loop. I don't know what it is, but it's a thing on Twitter that has our logo and is all bright, shiny colors. And it's like a GIF or something. I don't – it's really cool. So thank you, Carl. And if I can figure out how to embed it in this post, I will do that at the website. Um, and I do, do you know what this thing is? No, I don't know what it is either. Just that it looks pretty cool. But it should be easy to embed the tweet in the post. I can do that. So. I can definitely embed a tweet. Yeah. So I'll do that. You'd think that having, you know, produced and put out a podcast this long, I would know anything about technology. I don't. I, re- I know like the three things I need to do to keep 
putting out the podcast and that's about it. Um, but Carl also said, uh, also I'm thinking of returning to The Walking Dead and my crazy pants. I left when Glenn had batting practice. Hashtag help me please. Uh, Carl, you are not crazy pants. Uh, I w- am not interested in going back, but I would not be surprised if other people are. Have you heard anything from people uh, about who are actually still watching Walking Dead? Because I haven't watched since around when Carl stopped. I haven't heard anyone really talking about it. I know that, like, Andrew Lincoln's, like, left or is leaving this season, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, like, the extent of what I know what's happening on The Walking Dead right now. I know virtually nothing. I saw a prominent Michonne placement in some of the ads, which, of course, made me happy because Danai Guerrero is fabulous. But um, I, I don't know. But, Carl, I have returned to much worse shows than The Walking Dead way later than I should have. So no judgment here. If you do tune back in, let us know what you think. Um, I probably won't start watching again, but it's Walking Dead is one of those shows where I would easily, I could easily see myself spending, like, just burning an afternoon reading through recaps to just to find out what happened. Um, so I, I would like to know if it is still good. So let us know how you decide, how you come down on that, Carl. Uh, also, friend of the show, uh, Paul Goebel, a uh, former podcaster over at Hey Watch This, now has a new podcast. Where have I seen this before? I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but as he is friend of the show and has been on several times and knows all of the TV, uh, much of the TV, king of TV, uh, I figured I would mention that. And I would imagine TV fans will find things to enjoy in his new podcast, Knowing Paul. Um, and then I also wanted to mention Vince gave us a shout out in Film Critics to Follow which is like a Twitter thing. We aren't film critics, but he still mentioned us and said that we have a good podcast, even though he doesn't watch any of the shows we talk about. So thank you, Vince. We we always appreciate it. We always appreciate being reminded that there are people who actually listen to our funny voices. We do occasionally talk about movies. Like, I mean, I feel like King Lear qualifies as like a TV movie. Um, so, I mean, it happens every now and then when we do an original movie. And, you know, there was one bit of news that should get us all very excited that I just remembered in relation to this is that we've got a confirmed sequel for Netflix's The Christmas Prince. So, oh, yes, we've got that to look That's forward to. That's a thing, right? Yes, that, that, was a, that was a thing last year. That was so. a thing. I, I didn't watch it, but I, uh, Twitter lost its mind for like a day, as I recall. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes, it did. I will have yeah. to check that out. So thank you for that reminder. Um, speaking of Netflix, this week at the end of the show, we're talking about The Dragon Prince, the first season of that, which we talked about briefly a couple weeks ago. Um, but that's the animated series from some of the creatives behind After the Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, dive in and look at that first season. But before then, we need to get to our week in TV. And like, it's been, there have been premieres the last few weeks, but like this week they hit. Yeah. So it's a lot of premieres this week, just like it was last week. Um, so plenty to talk about in our week in TV. So let's listen to some music and we'll come back with our week in comedy and drama. We'll be right back after this. Do you ever feel so alone that if you were to pick up the phone? No one else would be on the other end Have you ever been far from home? So scared you had to roam And now you're beaten and tired With no one to call a friend He doesn't count You tried your best to make a change But people just think you're strange And you feel like no one else is singing my song 
That was one of the songs from this week's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend premiere, I Want to Be Here. Uh, that's going to kick off our week in comedy and drama. Then we'll move on to Blackish, uh, Gap Year, which is their season premiere. The Connors had a series premiere, Keep on Truckin'. Uh, we're going to talk about The Rookie in its premiere pilot, which is drama, but you know, it's, we put it with the other premieres. And then we'll round things out with The Good Place, Jeremy Baramy. So first up is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's premiere, I Want to Be Here. And I know a friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker, was – very excited about this premiere. Um, and I felt bad because I was like, okay, now can we start the season? So I, I was not as fond of this as I wanted to be. And I didn't particularly care for either of the songs. Again, I was like, I, I, I got it. Can we move on? Um, so am I just a, a bad craziest girlfriend fan? <laughs> I want them to get to the, the part of the story where they, we can just pretend the end of last season didn't happen because it was stupid. I don't think you're a bad fan. I think that this episode has to clean up everything that happened in that finale in some way, shape, or form. And that's it never makes for a good premiere, uh, typically, when that's how that's how you have to start your season. And that comes through really kind of clearly here in that they have to figure out how to get out of their little legal corner that they had written themselves into. And while I think that the way that they get out of this fine, I particularly like Paula's way of tricking Trent awake. It's just so good. <laughs> it's really good. Cambridge. <laughs> it's a nice callback to the a joke earlier, which the show just excels at. Um, but overall, it's just sort of, it's just sort of fine. Um, like you, I didn't like either of the songs super, super much. Um, especially when it's just like, and what if we get the whole ensemble? And I just went, that's not the whole ensemble. Why Josh is missing, Tim is missing. There's a number of people missing from that. Um, and then like knocking like the logistics of that, um, I appreciate it. It's sort of like a slight acknowledgement. But I do think that the Chicago sort of inspired uh, tell your story uh, number is good for in concept, but then it just kind of quickly, the joke runs dry for me in that this is something that's really kind of piercing their whole sort of fantasy musical approach to things really heavily. But the, it, it dries up for me really, really quickly in terms of enjoyment. Um, and as much as I appreciate that Bloom is really dedicated in that bit and everyone else around her is just like, clearly not wasn't there for her rehearsals I feel like so that they could respond really honestly to the just over the topness that she was doing it didn't help keep the number trucking along for me so I'm generally with you in that there's good concepts here but just it's it's a little too narrative and plot driven to be really successful yeah I always want the songs to have more going on than just a straightforward yeah we get it rebecca's got issues um or or, or rebecca's self-centered or uh josh is very simple <laughs> which is those are the songs that i am the least fond of um so so like um the 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 ping pong girl is one that comes to mind where it feels it's like i get it it's it's a fun video but it's just it just keeps going and I, I keep waiting for the next like twist or development of it. And it just doesn't come. And I feel like that's the case for both of these where they start with a good premise. It's like, okay, now add the nuance. There isn't, it's just more of, okay. Um, so despite being very well sung and, and the concepts I think are good and like the, the, 
visual of the prisoners with the lingerie over the jumpsuits, I think is a good visual. But then having only her doing any choreography, like, I, I think for me, that just, that concept is just flawed because it's just so repetitive. And I guess what we're highlighting there is her desperation to hold on to this idea. And, you know, and so she keeps pushing harder and harder, which makes her seem more and more desperate. And like, I get it, but then you're lacking in the entertainment factor. And I feel like the, when the show's most successful, it's when it does both. Um, so I don't know if there's a way to do that where you got other people engaging in, in the fantasy and then cutting back or if that would undercut the whole point, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It would have ended up undercutting the point if anyone else had like sort of gotten actively involved beyond that one, um, like random stage hand almost who just kind of comes out and apologizes for taking the chair. Um, but yeah, it would have just, it would have, like you said, just undercut the entire point of the song if someone else had sort of engaged. I mean, we didn't even give her cellmate, um, played by, uh, the woman who plays, um, Carmen on Glow. Um, so happy to see her get that big CW money. Um, but then I joked that probably the same amount of people watch this that watch Glow. So um, maybe slightly more people watch Glow. But um, that even she doesn't engage. So it was one of those things in which I feel like they knew that the song was going to have diminishing returns. So they didn't do everyone, but then you're just like, well, you could have just really done two of them and then called it. And that didn't even happen. So it just, it goes on too long and the points made, but the points made outside of the song as well, really explicitly. So there's no additional, like you said, there's no nuance, there's no next level. And that just kind of resulted in a relatively flat episode. Yeah. Well, and I also don't trust them to have Rebecca's breakthrough stick, uh-huh. you know, because um, they've done that before. And it took it took her too long to get to there. And then it's too tidy at the end of the episode. So I guess we're supposed to unless maybe they'll bring some of the actors back, which would be nice. Um, unless this becomes part of the larger plot. It's like I don't it's just very tidy. Um I did really like that performance from the actress whose name I don't have in front of me, who's from Glow. And some of the other ones were not great in this premiere, I thought. So she stood out because I I really liked her. But some of the other performance notes were very – I didn't feel like everybody was clicked in as much as they will be, hopefully, in the next episode. So that's sort of where I'm at. I'm like, okay – this this for me is really the end of season three. And so next week we'll start – Season season four. So fingers crossed for a more exciting episode two, for, at least for us, of, of season four. Though I know lots of people were very excited about it. So uh, please not too much hate from the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend fans. You know that I love this show too, and so does Noel. And we'll have plenty more to say over the course of the rest of the season. Let's move on to Gap Year, which is the Blackish premiere. And I thought this was a really good way to keep uh, an actor around after the character has graduated high school. Um without undercutting too much what they established, which was that he was going to go to a, a school in D.C. He's going to Howard. Um, this seemed like a good way to, to, to handle it. Uh, I, so I, I enjoyed a lot about this premiere, except for one, well, two very glaring things. One we'll get to later. The other one is your note here in, in 
our like our prep document, which is Noel, take it away. What's the the terrible discovery of this premiere? They kept the separation kitchen, Kate. They kept that awful, awful kitchen. It's still there. Yeah. Though it didn't bother me as much this time as it did when they first revealed it, probably just because I had distance from the previous kitchen, which is so much better. Yeah. But it's still not good. It's not no, good. it's not good. Um, what did you think of the episode? I think I think you're right in that it's a really good way to keep Junior around in a way that feels organic and also um, allows them to just continue to make sure that Junior is the one that takes care of the body the entire time. Because <laughs> um, otherwise that, that child is going to probably die from neglect. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's I think it's a really good way to do it and explores um, in a couple of different ways, like issues of masculinity and responsibility, and it's it's solid enough episode. I don't think it's like a great episode by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a good way to not have. It's a good way to prevent that family from shrinking from a cast of characters even more. So that I generally really appreciated that they realized that this was maybe going to be an issue and they needed to figure out a way around it and came up with a really good solution that resulted in a decent conversation about it. And so I think it generally works really works pretty well. And but mostly I just went, oh, I'm really glad to have this show back, like in circulation. Yeah. I really liked um Pop's contribution to the conversation. I thought that was very well uh, mm-hmm. like pitched within all the other discussions that were happening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it was also a good move to, to split up the twins. Um, and so we'll see what other, you know, drama and comedy they can mine from uh, Jack being uh, with junior and Diane having her own room. That's, that's probably not good. That's more space and privacy to scheme. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's Charlie needs to watch out. Yeah. I will say there's one other issue I was having with this premiere and in the current like climate, like where I'm at, I had a really hard time watching Anthony Anderson uh, because he's been accused of rape at least once, if not twice. Um, So I had a real hard time watching him. He's a very talented actor, but just especially when he's playing a character who is uh, being a bully and petulant and not under like that didn't help but i just i kept kind of like powering through his scenes just focusing on all the other talented people and and all those other things but i might have to stop watching blackish because i just i don't have space for alleged rapists in my viewing i miss this news so i'll have to look that up um you're definitely not gonna like next week's episode then which is really anderson heavy so um, maybe, maybe it's time to cut the plug then, Kate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. No, this is from a while back. Um, and uh, just with everything with Kavanaugh, it's just it's right back up there. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if that's something. I, I'd be curious if other people have thought about that, if that's affecting their viewing mm-hmm. or not. And where you guys put like your own personal lines and no judgment on, you know, what what you are watching and not watching and and your reasons why but i'm curious um if that is something that enters in other people's calculus because if and i was sitting there as i was watching that scene with anthony anderson and lawrence fishburne i'm like so am i gonna not watch lawrence fishburne because anthony anderson i was like "Mm, 
Maybe. But it's not Lawrence Fishburne's fault. You know, like, it's it's challenging for me. But anyways, we'll see what I, where I come down on that. Um, let's move on to our, our next episode, which is the Connors premiere, Keep on Truckin'. And I was not going into this with pr- any expectations, really. But I actually really like this premiere. I thought they did a very good job of handling uh, Roseanne's off-screen, the character's off-screen death. And I thought there were some really terrific scenes and, and good moments that they got out of it. I thought the decision to, to jump to three weeks after her death was a good one. And uh, I might stick around. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a good enough episode and good enough sort of relaunch of the show. It's weird to have a spinoff so quickly, <laughs> sort of, except it's the same show just without Roseanne almost in a lot of ways. And so that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I generally think it's fine. Um, I think that it really highlights how uh, Gilbert Goodman and uh, Matt Caff are the ones that, especially when Roseanne relaunched last year, were really the ones that were kind of carrying the show in a lot of ways. And I think that this episode really drives that home. It makes that really abundant when you decenter the show off of um, Roseanne Connor slash Barr, you find out you really realize how deep this ensemble is and how really that they should have been the focal points. So I think that comes through really, really nicely. I think that my biggest takeaway from the premiere, however, is that they need to make sure that they just keep bringing Mary Steenberg back because holy heck, Kate, she was yeah, really she was good awesome. in that one scene. And there's no reason not to keep having her circulate around this show because she was just immediately felt part of this program just immediately. And it was really, really good for what was essentially like a three to five minute scene um, in which she maybe has, I'd say maybe 12 to 15 lines. And it's just really good. Yeah. And, And if they can flesh out their world a little bit more, of the community, I think that the neighborhood, that would also be a smart thing to do. Um, but because this this felt more like the Roseanne I remember than the new show did. Uh, and this felt like, a, I mean, and maybe this is because it's not challenging my politics. Maybe that's part of it, too. We should all acknowledge our biases, I think, when we're watching issues-based stuff and stuff that's very actively engaging with politics. But um, for me, this felt more honest. Um, than some of the other stuff that I was seeing from the show when it came back last year. Um, And it felt like a more complicated answer than just sort of the, we're going to pretend to play at both sides of a, of a topic, but undercut the one and give the, the make sure the audience is firmly on the side of Roseanne because she's just such a big personality and bully figure um, like I thought, I thought the stuff, for example, with the grandson was handled better here than it was in the in the first season with Roseanne, what we saw. Um, but again, that might just be because it's not challenging me. So who knows? Well, it's a weird situation in which, like, there's a lot of that part plot stuffs with the grandson played out across a couple episodes within Roseanne when it relaunched from Roseanne sort of like threatening the class, basically if they picked on him and then like um, um, uh, Goodman's character, Dan, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. 
um, being sort of like trying to come to grips with the fact that he wears uh, what are considered uh, girls clothes sometimes that kind of thing. So, I mean, just, it's a lot of the same beats across the way of like acceptance and that kind of thing, but it's not grounded in a sort of politic that is, well, just because it's my family member that I'm generally okay with it, but overall societally I have issues, which is sort of like the tinge that it had last season. Mm -hmm. So that gets like sort of stripped down a little bit here. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, if I if I keep watching, I guess I will see if if this is something that comes back, or if it you know if everything is if it's more watered down or safer. Um, we'll we'll see. But I think there's a lot of potential. Um, and and watching the family deal with this grief and try to readjust their roles. I think uh, having Darlene step into the central role will work really well. Um, bringing in Metcalf more, you know, uh, Jackie more prominently will, in the ensemble will help as well. Um, but I, I mean, there's plenty. I'm, I'm not going to miss Roseanne. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> she was never my reason for watching. So uh, I'm more, much more, I was much more interested in, in the, the type of uh, conversations the show wanted to have and the, the politics of the show, even back in the 90s and the, uh, the, the ensemble more than in finding Roseanne herself all that interesting. So, um, it's easy for me to to say that I'm actually surprisingly interested in the Connors, but uh, we'll see if I stick with it. Are, you're, are you going to, or are you planning not to? Um, if I remember, I'll probably circle around to watching it on Hulu um, after, like the night after. Um, the degree to which I'm probably not going to program it into my pass, my DVR to record. Um, so if I remember to watch it, I'll probably check it out. But I feel like this is something that I'm going to end up like letting build up for a little while and then like watching like multiple episodes over the course of a couple of hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, let's see if they do a big Halloween episode. Maybe I'll check in with that one. Oh, yeah, no, they are doing a Halloween episode because they announced who's going to be playing Jackie's love interest today. Ah, okay. Yeah, would you like to know? I would like to know. It's Matthew Broderick. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. It's and like that's just sure. Okay. It doesn't make any that's sense. That's odd, but okay. Okay. But yeah, so no, he's apparently gonna appear first in the Halloween episode that they have planned. Okay. Well we'll see how that goes. Um our next episode is the rookie premiere, uh pilot and Listeners, I did not go into the rookie, which is the new Nathan Fillion show about a forty five year old character played by a like fifty year old man. Um, who has a midlife crisis and, and decides to uh, follow his dream to become a, a L.A. cop. And so he's the rookie, but he's 45. Um, I, I did not plan to watch this, um, but just out of, you know, my affinity for procedurals uh, and the Fillion charm, I, I did put, set it on the DVR, and so I watched it. And I was surprised. It, like, won me over pretty quickly at the beginning. And... I was I was actually I was going like this is much better than it would need to be or than I expected it to be. And then what happens? Then they decide to have the 45-year-old be in a secret relationship with the 20-year-old and then from then on it every everything that the lead does is right and secretly uh 
the right move to make and he has insight and wisdom and he doesn't screw anything up at the on his first day at the job and like it just become becomes such a vehicle of hero worship for Fillion. Um it just it, it pivots out around that point in the episode, at least for me. I'm curious your thoughts and all into just a total vanity project, uh where I just I've deleted my my recording for it. I will not be watching more. After it got me totally on board with the first part of the episode. I'm curious, did you have a similar experience or did it my very low expectations lead to this roller coaster of an experience? I think your expectations led to this experience for you. Like I also had similarly low expectations, but I also just realized that this was going to be a vehicle for him in a very stark way. And that so I, I was waiting for something to come around while I was watching the pilot, which um, I did like a number of months ago and wasn't allowed to discuss because ABC was weird. And so when they get to the uh, secret relationship, um, I was just like, oh, yeah, Kate's going to love this part. And <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly like where I also kind of went, because they lean in really heavily on it being a too much of a vehicle for Fillion in that it's very driven by this character and by his performance and by his particular type of charisma. And that is fine, but it's also mired and gets stuck in the fact that there is a secret relationship with massive age disparity that's just really tired on television. And it just, it kind of sucks a lot of the air out of it, even though there are a number of kind of like interesting aesthetic things that happen in the episode from their use of body cam perspective type stuff to sort of the, um, the way that they kind of really lovingly, I think shoot Los Angeles from different perspectives. Um, it all comes through and looks really nice, but it's also just narratively just kind of bleh. plus the other, one of the other cop trainer cops, who's just a complete and total jerk. is just exhausting. He's exhausted. Mm-hmm. Kate. Um, so, and I've seen that character a zillion times and I don't need to see it anymore. Yeah. It's just such a, um, white male of a certain age, just hero fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like that's all it is. And it, it could have been more, it could, it could have been, that's one of the characters and he's the lead and, you know, we're going to be following his perspective, but have a strong ensemble cast with different perspectives and different things that they're following. But no, no, they just like really settle into that <laughs> about halfway through. He's like, oh, this is okay. And then when the, the, the other white guy cop is the, um, like the, oh, secret racist. Oh, or is he? Maybe he's not racist. He's just testing you. You shouldn't assume things. Like, wow. I was like, okay, well, yeah, this is a way to make sure I am not interested in the show there's the two female cops who are um fighting for the same job um and i guess are are friends friendly and supportive but they're also absolutely competing for the same job like yeah it just started take i started that the when they reveal that relationship it just pivoted how i saw the episode because it doesn't make any sense yeah it's not earned at all uh then then it just pivots and all, every all of a sudden every every aspect of the episode and, and of the show that they were setting up that um could be seen as as token and as checking a box immediately became that for me so yeah that I will I will I will not be watching 
this. There's there's a good like there's a good or interesting or fun show you could have that's not just straight wish fulfillment. Um and I would be interested in watching that show. I will not be watching more of the rookie um anytime soon. So that's where I'm at with that. Anything else to add? No, I mean I think you're absolutely correct. There's not really a big reason to check this out unless you're just a huge Philly fan, in which case enjoy. Um, because it's clearly sort of structured in a way to avoid a issue of Castle becoming a co-lead show with someone else mm-hmm. and very much about just Fillion's performance. Which is just a weird thing to do when he's one of the grunts. Like, don't make him one of the grunts then. Come up with a different premise and for us to have a reason that he's the lead, you know? Anyways, okay, that's a conversation for another. I could, I could just keep ranting about why it's stupid the way that they set up the show if they wanted just a, a, a fill-in vehicle, fill-in vehicle. Um, but if you, because I, I am a, a fan of of, of fill-in, like, but I'm just gonna go rewatch episodes of Castle if if I'm looking for more more fill-in because like this is just ugh, that's a that's a better version of this I think, but. Anyways, uh, let me know, listeners, if you checked out The Rookie and what you, what you thought, because maybe I'm alone here. Uh, the next episode and the last one for our weekend comedy and drama is uh, The Good Place, Jeremy Bear Me. And um, I think we have a very clear place we need to start with. And that, Noel, is that that is not Chidi's body. <laughs> but damn! Like, Chidi doesn't work out. And obviously, William Jackson Harper works out. Yeah. But, like, there, I, you know that was somebody was like, dude, have you seen, like, like he's, like, cut. We got to find an excuse to get him shirtless. Chidi would never get shirtless. So let's, like, when we have an opportunity, we're showing off those guns. Because, again, damn. So, um, Catherine, I mean, I'm butchering Catherine's last name. Um, Catherine Van Ardock. Um, over at Vulture wrote a little piece about this and um, basically going, A, there's no way that Chidi looks this good um, in part because he can't pick out suit. Do you really believe for a moment that he could figure out which piece of gym equipment to use? <laughs> um, so that right there raises a number of issues. Um, but then like I was talking about this with a friend of the show, Corey Barker, a little bit, and he was just like, oh, well, it's probably just because he keeps moving furniture around because he can't decide where to put it, and it just happened accidentally. Uh, <laughs> which is as good an explanation as I feel like we'll probably ever get, so look for that in season four, I guess. Um, but then there's also the fact that this is a like really direct callback to the fact that Eleanor makes a joke about Chidi being secretly ripped last season. And so we get that in that like little bit of payoff and that no, he is in fact very jacked. Um, but it is it is a little weird. And then they put him in what's supposed to be a really unflattering shirt, except it makes him look even better. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so no, that's a good place to start. Um, but what did you think about like the rest of the episode and sort of like the fact that they decided to answer some kind of like world building sort of like questions about like how long were they there and how does time work in this type of thing and then them just going like it just works like this dummies in their most Liz Lemon-esque voice <laughs> yeah I, I loved uh that the dot over the eye is what broke Chidi yeah 
in Jeremy Baramy. Like that was delightful. And I there this is also it seems pretty clear to me they're setting up a thing that they're gonna pay back later with time being cyclical and, and all this stuff. Like it, yeah, there's there's more coming with this. I would be out Maybe there's not, but I would be very surprised if there wasn't. Um, but w- seeing how they each respond to the door, I thought was was interesting and fun and a good way to structure the episode. Um, and <laughs> and uh, the 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 most blatant thing was obviously the cheaty meltdown and the chili and and all of that. <laughs> but uh, but I thought that the rest of the episode worked very well. And it was it was interesting to see the different perspectives. Yeah, and I think you're right in that, like their decision to sort of explore what this means for each of them uh, is, and then nicely tie it back together to the issues of the, like sort of the three major Western concepts of leading a virtuous life and what that looks like um, is very classic good place, but it's also like really good good place. Is the other thing is like. They delivered a number of really good jokes in the process to, I would like to buy an opera, please, to (laughs) the entirety of Eleanor's little journey of, like, it's my birthday tomorrow. Uh, Give me my other free margarita. It's just all, it's really, really good. And so um, I just, I really appreciate this episode. I think it's really, really funny overall, while still being really, intelligent in how it's presenting these philosophical concepts so it's sort of like the quintessential sort of good place episode and i just i really really enjoyed it yeah i'm still waiting for the next twist yeah i like i still feel like there's good place intervention that like actual good place intervention that's gonna come into play before the end of the season so like when when she's talking to the bartender i was like is this someone from the good place is that, an, is that an angel? <laughs> Whenever anybody who's not part of the main cast or like the previously seen guest stars gets lines, I'm like, are you going to be secret, secret angel? What's going on? Um, so we'll see what happens with it. But is that occurring to you or is that just me? No, I think that's a fair concern to have. Um, but I mean, it's, you never know. You never know. I, I, I mean, I feel like if we get into like, one too many different helpful bartenders, then yes, we have a quantum leap situation on our hands and we should be on the mm-hmm. lookout for Bruce McGill. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, oh, man. That's, that's, that's such a great episode. Um, well, what wins your week in comedy and drama? Uh, it's definitely Jer- Jeremy Barrowman. The the dots are Tuesdays in July and sometimes never. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Kate, yeah. Kate, did you know that I had a flu virus named after me because I kissed a bat on a dare? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was, it, that, that wins my week in comedy and drama, too. But I will also give a quick shout-out to F- Full Frontal with Samantha B, uh, particularly for their segment, um, part of the episode this week, where they went to a Cowboys gate, uh, like tailgate and interviewed people about voting um, because just being so very in my – like my bubble and social media and, you know, what I'm engaging with and, and invested in um, being reminded that there are so many million Americans who aren't even registered and aren't paying attention. And like, oh, there's like the Fox news viewership is like 10 million max um, on a really big event, like the Kavanaugh hearing and stuff. And like MSNBC, like Rachel Maddow on a good night gets 5 million viewers. So like, 
there's so such a larger percentage of the country is not engaged with any of this. Um, yeah, it was a it was a good segment. I really enjoyed that segment. It was necess- it was necessary like puncture in overestimating and a uh, reminder to still get out there and encourage everyone you know to vote and make sure that if they're in a state where it's not too late, they register and all of that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, thank you to Samantha B for that. Um, but I'm like, you, like you, I'm giving it to the good place. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. This week in genre, we're going to talk about the finale to Flickly Alternative, Full Flat. Then we'll talk about the premieres of Supergirl, American Alien, and Arrow, Inmate 4587. Then we'll move over to Black Lightning, The Book of Consequences, Chapter 2, Black Jesus Blues. And we'll round things out uh, quickly with Doctor Who, The Ghost Monument. So first up is Flickly Alternative. And um, Noel, we haven't checked in on this in quite a while. What did you think of the rest of the season and then this finale in particular? Um, the rest of the season's fine. I think it's... Um, I really just want to talk about like the season overall and dig in a little bit into the finale specifically. But I think this, I think that their decision weirdly... Like, we criticized alternative... Wait, progressive. Which one is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, we criticized the previous incarnation when we had Thomas off on um, Zoth on to being like too beholden to its predecessor. And replaying a number of things over and over again in uninteresting ways and not really engaging the female um, protagonist. And here it's all female protagonists. And it's re- I think generally the sort of like slice of life approach works really, really well here. But it ends up not feeling too much like a fully cooly series until like everything ends up feeling really perfunctory by the end. And that's sort of a weird sort of sensation to have in that I really sort of like all the slice of life stuff, but then as soon as we kind of have um, Haru Haru show up, it's just like, oh, right, yeah. So it, it ended up, I think, being an okay series and sort of enjoyable, but it never like got the depths that I was really looking for or expecting, really. And so I ended up like liking it, but not being like, yeah, that was really good. And it wasn't sort of like as aesthetically bold as the um, as the one that aired uh, this summer could occasionally be either. So I think it's better than the one that we watched this summer, but in a different way. I don't I don't know like how what more to say about it beyond I liked a lot of the concepts in it, but I just feel like six episodes wasn't enough either. Yeah, I uh, I had trouble with this one. 
Um, I, stu- I, I, you know, waited a couple weeks and then caught up with it all. And if I didn't know that we were going to be talking about it when it finished at the season, I would have stopped. And for a couple reasons, I got, I, I liked the, the, the group of girls, the, the main characters, but I, it, like the constant upskirt shots were uh, like, it was really pissing me off. Um, and th- there's a lot of them. And then also, it just felt pretty cheap, uh, the animation, because there, there are several, there's at least one or two episodes where, like, you would just see, they would just put their chat bubbles on the screen so that they didn't have to animate anything changing or anyone moving, you know? And I don't know why. I know so, some of that stuff is stylistic, but then it's also just like, now we're going to show a speaker. As, so that, it, again, we don't have to move the camera and animate new, new cells um, while they're talking. And certainly so we don't have to see their mouths move while they're talking. And it got really distracting for me. And especially because I was not more engaged with some of the slice of life stuff, I was noticing that more. You know me. I'm terrible at noticing the animation. <laughs> um, but I, I did think overall, by the end, it came together Um I liked this better, I think. Like, the characters, I was more interested in the characters and in this approach than in the previous one in Progressive. And um, the, like, the, even if I didn't fully engage with the actual show, the concepts and the, the topics they were discussing, I thought were really great. And, like, the realization, like, the powerful realization of learning not to care or learning not to need every single person to like you, yeah. especially as a, as a girl or as a young woman, I think is just huge. So the power that they give that I think is appropriate and is well conveyed. Um, but I, I think that like, I, I like that topic. I would have liked it if it had been even more like developed and engaged with. Um, yeah. And, and I, when they, we, we don't really get a goodbye. And I guess that's part of what drives the end is the, like the lack of resolution with pets. And, you know, so I guess if they had that resolution, then they wouldn't have felt like you could have that same outpouring of emotion at the end. But, um, yeah, the, the connection to Felicoli at the end, all of a sudden the iron's there and we're flattening everything, you know, like they pull the new, the alternative earth out of whatever. Um, I don't, that doesn't really matter. That's not really the point. In my opinion, um, but I thought that was appropriately foolishly, but it did kind of then come out of left field. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, it was like it was it was a mixed bag for me. But um, yeah, if the next time I'm watching anime and they just insist on all these upskirt shots, I'm just going to stop watching it because it's gross. Again, as I keep saying, as someone who works with teenage girls this age constantly, it is seriously fucked up. <laughs> to show upskirt shots of them, of, of people that age constantly. If anyone, I really, it bothers me, but particularly, these are children. And yes, they're, the whole part point of Felicoli is the move, the move from children into adolescence, into like through puberty and all these things into, you know, young adulthood. Like I get, I get that, but it's still fucking gross. So it, it, and, and like that's just a part of anime that you have to just accept, is I think also bullshit. Um, so yeah, it was really it was just really bothering me. All no, and it should. It's an incredibly tired and 
gross sort of like fan service. And I mean, I've done relatively well, especially with my choices lately about avoiding these types of shows um, that engage in that really actively. Um, and it's just, and I was also just really frustrated by it. And so I just kept going like, all right, yeah, no, we get it. You're I'm doing the thing. That's great. Nobody cares anymore. Don't do this anymore. And it was where I was like landing on it. It was just like, I'm very jaded, but I'm also just like, I've done, like I said, really well in avoiding like this particular type of like fan service type of show for the most part. Um, not always, but generally um, I'm able to avoid it pretty well with my selections recently. Well, but it's also this idea that like we couldn't possibly expect young uh, uh, heterosexual boys to be interested in female characters and their lives. Of course not. So we better make sure that we include upshot skirts of the girls so they have a reason to watch. You know, it's just it's just objectifying these these characters and not trusting your audience to actually care about female characters. You're like your your male audience to your heterosexual and again heterosexual male audience to engage with these characters as people. Um, and that's just that that is teaching terrible lessons to, to young boys, and it's also not giving them anywhere near enough credit too. So um, I like that that it seems to be with my very very limited knowledge of anime a uh, very like you said it's dated it's something that is a trend that is still present but nowhere near as prevalent as it was um and i i appreciate that personally um so when i see a show that then goes back to that well so blatantly without any sort of commentary or like in, engaging with a trope for a purpose you know it just it just it was sort of glaring to see this like lovely you know, friendship dynamic and then like, oh, we better make sure, you know, we, we have we have a shot of of tiny skirts and really long legs. OK, now let's go back to actually talking about our feelings. Which is why, like last year, you should just watch Soccer Request instead, which has adult women and actually tends to avoid any sort of like heavy fan service type stuff anyway. Um, Well, and why is that called fan service? Because that it's not fan service. It's one small segment of the fan base service. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I understand what you mean. It's just gratuitous fan service. Yeah. Well, but again, yeah. And then that's what that's exactly what you call. And I'm not. That's not. I'm not giving you a hard time. It's just like that is what is considered. But it's just like why? It's like when when people are amazed that. Still out there, people are amazed that that girls like science fiction and girls like fantasy and girls like every genre that there is. And we watch it all and we want to watch it all. And shows doing that are culling out their fan base. <laughs> they're, they're shrinking their fan base because now I'm not going to watch more Felicity Alternative um, or I'm less likely to watch. But anyways, okay, lest I get too preachy, let's go on to our next very preachy show, which is Supergirl and its premiere, American Alien, uh, which, again, like I said, wore its politics on its sleeve, uh, as, as lacking at its cape, flapping in the wind, as, uh, as unsubtle as you could possibly be, and you know I loved it. I really enjoyed this premiere. Um, I, it felt like, ah, oh, Supergirl's back. Yay. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to sustain it, but I thought that there was a lot to like here. Um, did, did it work for you? 
it did work for me, but Kate, they put that Ferrari back in the garage too soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I kept, kept seeing that, like, I was like, oh, she's dead. I was like, oh, is she dead? I just thought they stabbed her, but maybe she wasn't going to be dead yet. Maybe they were torturing her. They were going to save her next week. They better say Vicky, Vicky from The Good Place <laughs> It was, was was a guest star. I was very excited when she popped up. Because they're like, why do you cast her for like half of an episode? Yeah, no, you don't do that. You, you don't leave a Ferrari in the garage, Kate. Um, which is now what I say about that actor anytime she shows up on anything. Um, so no, overall, I do think that the episode's really good. I think there's a lot of like stuff they do to reestablish a number of things that they just had to course correct on after last season between their weird decision to kind of pull Kara out of um, Capco to a certain degree as she grappled, and I'm doing air quotes, with what it meant to be um, Kara and what it meant to be Supergirl, and which was a conflict that was never really properly dramatized. And so then to reestablish the BEO under Alex's uh, purview, plus her really awesome new haircut. And um, just, it had to do a lot of work in terms of reestablishing the universe and sort of establishing what this new sort of status quo is going to be. So I'm like you feeling really optimistic about it. Um, um, Rita, 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 Morna, um, I'm getting her name, all sorts Rana of- Mitra. Yeah. Um, uh, it's like a really good reimagined version of Mercy Graves, which I'm very excited about. And the fact that Bruno Mannheim's name has been dropped, I'm very excited about that because I know that he's going to show up a little bit later in this season. And so I think that there's a number of like really cool things that are going to be coming forward here. And I'm really excited to see how they do that. And yeah, I just, I think that there's a number of really good concepts here that I'm just wishing and hoping that we were here last year too and I don't want them to like have a weird sort of, we didn't really break this story very well, slash Adrian Pascar got really busy on S.H.I.E.L.D., so we just had to kind of ignore that character, and all that kind of stuff, and like, I'm really hoping for like a much more like solidly mapped out season than what we ended up getting last year, and I'm also really hoping that this season does not involve terraforming Earth again. Yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one. Um, first of all, I did not. I was not aware that this is a pre-existing character because how perfectly, how perfectly alt-right is the name Bruno Mannheim? Oh no, Bruno dates back so far, so far. Yeah. He's such an old Superman character. Um, so yeah, no, it's a super, super great name for. Um, it's a super, super great name to like bring back because he's normally like some sort of big gangster. And, um, Mm -hmm. so he's just, he's a really great character overall to bring back, um, in any capacity, I feel like. And so to have him sort of begin to resurface here, I'm really interested in how they're going to deploy him. Yeah. I really like, um, particularly the way they're moving Jean and, um, you know, where we see like the, the the fact that Supergirl, uh, spends the, or Kara spends the first half of the episode being like, I'm pretty sure you don't know what you're talking about, John. I'm pretty sure that as the most passing of all passing aliens, uh, it's everybody loves me, so everybody loves everybody, right? This isn't a problem. Um, that was handled just right, and um, 
yeah, that, I, at least for me, I, I thought that worked really, really well. And I look forward to them finding other things in this vein to explore with Jean and giving David Harbour more to, more to do, more to play with. Um, and I can't, I don't remember his name, the actor they have playing uh, Mercy's brother, who is, of course, on uh, Wrecked as well. Just super punchable face. That's why I was really recognizing him, apart from the fact that he's also just on everything at some point. He's on everything. Yeah, yeah no, he's terrific. He, he works really great in, in this, in that, in his role here as well. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with it. But um, apparently they have Bruce, Bruce Boxleitner yes. playing the VP. Yes. It was originally so, going to be Brent Spiner too, but his schedule didn't yeah. work out, which was sad. Yeah, well... I, that just the fact that they were gonna have Bruce Spiner, uh, Brent Spiner on was like, oh, he's gonna be evil. <laughs> That's what they don't have Brent Spiner come on to play the not evil vice president, well, which feel, means that Bruce Boxleitner. I feel that way about Bruce Boxleitner. So, <laughs> uh, I always go to a uh, a. a a Babylon Five space with that, yeah, that's okay, fair with, it, with him. So, like, I like, I feel like he could go either way with it, but, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm very, I'm going to mourn the the loss of Wonder Woman president when when it happens. Yeah, but uh, certainly it's an interesting move to make and one that absolutely makes sense. And I'm looking forward to to where things go. I also like the introduction uh, introduction of Nianal, um and. The in Co and recentering there a bit more that looks looks fun. I'm not looking forward to the drama when James just has to go out as God again again, and that's going to prompt the breakup with Lena and all these other things. Um, I'm not looking forward to that, but at least for now things are off to a good start. I would say. Yeah, I think that I think that they are too. So I'm eager to I'm really eager to watch more, and I need it kind of like right now almost. Because, um, yeah. like, even, like, some of this was, like, a lot of this, especially, like, the relationship between the Graves siblings was really reminding me, like, in just sort of, like, in the vibe of, like, Lois and Clark type stuff. So I was really appreciating that because, oh, I loved Lois and Clark. It was so silly. Okay? It was such a silly show. And we all need some silly sometimes. Um Less silly and more grim is Arrow in Mate 4587. What did you think of the premiere? Right. So I stopped watching. No, wait. I stopped watching. When did I stop watching Arrow? Okay. I don't remember. <laughs> Wasn't it the crossover? Yeah, I think it was at the crossover. So I didn't see like the back half um, really of the season six, I think. Because I, I definitely saw some. Miss. I definitely saw some DS stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so I definitely saw them like fighting one another team arrow versus new team arrow. So I definitely saw some of that stuff as well. Um, yeah, I think I left like a couple episodes after Michael Emerson left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. Anyway, but I also feel like that didn't matter because this is arrow. <laughs> yep. Um, so I think it's fine. Um, their decision to do flash forwards um, on the island is sort of groundworthy, but at the same time, I think we were all just like, "How and why would why would Roy come back after his whole thing about leaving?" So this sort of like provides an answer to that that I'm much happier with than he's the new Green Arrow, which I don't think it's Roy. I really hope it's not Roy, Kate. I hope it's not Roy. Um, <laughs> But I think that provides a decent answer to that question. And generally, I think I think it's fine. I'm not compelled to keep watching by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm 
it was fine. It was fine. It's like the extent it still felt really arrow, even though they have a new showrunner. Um, it, yeah, it just, it still felt like arrow in season seven and that's fine for what it is. The show knows what it is. Um, and it's still a well-directed episode. They had James Banford direct the premiere, which is always really smart because then you get that just censored enough bathroom fight sequence. And, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's fine. I mean, it's fine. There's, yeah, it's fine. I don't want to ramble too much about, like, oh, right, yeah, no, prison's just filled with a lot of violent people for the most part. Okay, yeah. Well, I already played Spider-Man video game and did these critiques, so I don't really need to do it again, but... Here we are. Yeah. No, it, it's like you said, it's very fine. And I like I I I just really wish Arrow wasn't so married to the whole flashback, flash forward thing cuz like no, I never care. I never care about that part of the episode, and that is again true here. I like the little cuts cutaways to Felicity um yeah, as a barista. <laughs> that was fun. Um and I'm mildly interested in who the new Arrow is, but only very mildly, so we'll see. I'm going to keep watching. You know me. But uh, we'll we'll check in next time there's something to talk about, I suppose. Let's move on to Black Lightning, The Book of Consequences, Chapter 2, Black Jesus Blues. Um, I just wanted to mention the cover of Nature Boy that they used at the top, which is the saxophone like jazz cover. I really enjoyed that. Um, that scoring choice is very evocative, um, and it really worked for me. Uh, but this was another strong episode, and uh, you know, I really love how – how much they've like really captured the family feel with the main characters here. Like the scenes we got, we get with the sisters just feel so organic and um, really earned, I guess like, like you really buy into their relationship and I was just having a lot of fun watching this. I think it, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the legends of tomorrow premiere. Have you seen that trailer? I've seen the premiere of Legends of Tomorrow, oh, and um, oh man, and no, but you're Hashtag screener envy. You're absolutely correct about that trailer because it's so good. It's such a good trailer. <laughs> um, it's a very good trailer. Yeah, but I mean, we're going to talk about the premiere next week, um, which is delightful overall. What I'm saying is, like, they're making it a fight, you know, with and the Supergirl. If Supergirl is actually back, yeah, you know. Full, you know, at, at full force, like it's going to be a, a fight for best CW superhero show, and I'm excited about that because Black Lightning, I think, is doing a really good job. Yeah, and like you said, their cover of Nature Boy is just so good. And when it kicks in, and you're just like, "Oh, this is this should have been playing the entire time of the cold open." It takes up like two thirds of the cold open, I think. And um, it was just like, "This is very good." Like it immediately like sets a tone for the episode overall and like we talked about with um last week as well with them calling this chunk of things the book of consequences um or consequence um all of this sort of again they're still dealing with the ramifications of the previous um season so jefferson dealing with the fact that he's not going to be principal anymore and that they're bringing in a white new principal to handle it and just all this sort of stuff like kind of falling into place i really appreciate it but then also having that um green light meta who can compel people to tell the truth um and that dinner table sequence is really good when you're talking about like the family dynamics um being really lived in already
party and then having that particular blow up scene at the dinner table be motivated by that is also just really, really good because you get the, the subtext becomes text. Um, and I always appreciate, especially with superhero shows when that happens much more quickly sometimes. And so to have a lot of this come kind of happen within the course of this particular episode, I thought it just worked really, really well. And again, it goes back to what we said also last week about how very confident this show feels about where it is and what its characters are and where it's going and taking them. And that just continues to come through, even in this episode, as they're still sort of essentially laying the groundwork for this season still, really, that they're, it doesn't feel like they're doing that yet. It just feels like they're, it feels like we're in the second half of season one as opposed to the new season, but not in a bad way. And that feels that for whatever reason feels really, really short about the show's structure. Yeah, no, I, I I disagree. It's, it's such a confident show. It doesn't feel like we're, it both feels like we're still in the first season and they're laying new groundwork and that it's in season three. You know, because they feel so, it feels so, it just feels really comfortable. So, yeah, we're we're on board with the start of, of Black Lightning. Are we on board with the start of Doctor Who? And they have the Ghost Monument this week, but it's our first, like, real standard adventure with this new Doctor and the companions. Uh, I was spoiled, I, I thought I really liked it. I had a blast with this, but... I'm already in the bag for like half these characters. What, what did you think of Doctor Who? Well, I, I had a big question for you because um, I watched this. And like I said last week, I haven't really watched any large amounts of Doctor Who for a little while. Um, so you can sort of inform me about my particular take on this. Um, was that this felt really, really character driven, especially in the first half. Well, so in the second half, um, when monsters and robots started showing up. But definitely the first half, it felt really character-driven, like that the male-identified racer gets like this long sort of speech about his philosophy of life, and he gets sort of like interrogated and poked at in a way that when I was trying to think back through other instances of Doctor Who, the degree to which that scene is given like an immense amount of time to breathe, I couldn't think of an episode in which that happened before. Um, and admittedly, my memory of the show is incredibly hazy, and that needs to be factored into how I'm sort of approaching this. But it just felt much more character-driven than I remember Doctor Who being, as opposed to, we need to run away from the thing, we need to figure out how to stop the thing. Please give me some answers about this thing, because I have questions about why there's no life on this planet. And um, while that ended up being, like, a sub-thread in the first half and came much more forward in the second half after they found out actually what happened in the planet. Um, yeah, it just, it felt like the episode was deeply invested in these two racers in a way that I feel like the show previously would not have been. But is that, am I just completely off base in this or is this a result of the new showrunner? This is the new showrunner, but this is, this is not unusual for Doctor Who. This is just, you know, and I'm sure fans of the Moffat era will have their thoughts on this and we'll be able to think of some good examples of Moffat episodes that are like this. But this, it feels more uh, RTD era. Uh, this is definitely something the show has done before. And um, having that, that bigger investment in the guest stars and making you really uh, like connect in with the characters, that is what the show was for its first 
however many seasons. Like I can name one-off characters from many, many episodes of Doctor Who. And the reason I can is because they they made an impression. I can think of characters from the classic era who were on for one story, which would be several like half hour episodes, but um, who made an impression and who we were all like, Oh man, I wish they had become companions, but they didn't. Um, so, so that's not new to Dr. Who, but it, it has um, the, it has felt like it's been a while, at least for me. And you know, you've also not been watching, the the more recent episodes so you you've had a longer gap from the show as well but the moffat era is much more interested in cleverness and adventure than it is in characters um if you're going to generalize and so that is something that um the rtd era was sometimes like so wrapped up in its characters that it would like bend things that it shouldn't necessarily and have contrivances just to have an emotional beat but um but not necessarily like have so like so so the RTD era, but the episodes by Stephen Moffat in the RTD written by Moffat in the RTD era are a lot of the the highlights of the whole series. I mean, just think of Blink, for example. Right. Um, but that's because they had those two forces like combating each other and balancing each other out. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the Chibnall era now. But no, that's not that's not a new thing for who, but but I absolutely hear where you're coming from where you say like feel like it's it feels like a a new era of the show kind of it doesn't feel the same as the previous one did. Right. And I think your call to the Davies errors um probably accurate. Like that particular section for me is very, very hazy. And, like, the only thing that I can kind of point to is, like, the Water and Mars um, movie, which is probably, like, one of my favorite Who stories, because I really like that one. But it's also, like, one of the few ones where I can go that I very much, like, kind of connected this episode to um, in, like, thinking about, like, the char- the one-off characters sort of, sort of popping up and being really compelling. And that was sort of what I remembered a little bit. Well, also what you were talking is like, oh, yeah, 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 maybe. I can't really pick out any more specific Davies episodes apart from that one. Um, but, yeah, no, I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think about, like, the rest of the episode? Were you happy that they got the TARDIS? What did you think about the new TARDIS, like, look? I don't really care for it that much, but I like that the doctor likes it and, you know, they got to change it up. I very much enjoy that the TARDIS dispenses cookies or sorry, biscuits. Um, that's delightful. And uh, the little spinning TARDIS within the TARDIS is, is cute, though. I, that w- I'm not sure how I feel about that one. Um, but uh, but no, I, th- I thought it was a great way to do the TARDIS reveal and to really stretch it out and and earn that moment and make that moment huge if you know nobody said it's bigger on the inside which is one way to you know see how you're gonna work that phrase in just sidestep it so we'll see how long they can stick with that before they have to get to bigger on the inside um but no i thought i thought that it was 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 fun and and really worked now the one part i didn't buy is when the doctor like gives up I didn't, but the doctor would not give up that, that quickly or that easily. Right. Um, yeah. So that was just, that felt like, that just felt manipulative so that the when the TARDIS did appear, it was a more emotional, real, more like massive wave of emotion yeah. as opposed to just like the, what we were expecting. Um, but Jodie Whittaker continues to, to, to crush it. And I, I really liked also what they're doing with Graham and Ryan so far. 
and having not like some very outward antagonistic relationship, but still a complicated one, you know, I think that's a better way to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this episode. I, I dug it and I liked, like, I, I didn't really notice the time going by, even though there were a lot of ads. Um, and so like, I, I was just kind of waiting for the next chapter. It's like, oh, that's the end. Oh, okay. I could have watched a lot more of this. <laughs> So it, clearly, I was having a good time. The, the, some of the things they're setting up for the season are a bit heavy-handed. Oh, you think? Um, with the baddies <laughs> from last time, and and you know some of these other things. But you know, I, I would appreciate a little bit, a little more nuance with that. A little more subtlety would be nice. But I think in general, what, you, didn't, you didn't appreciate the floating pieces of the cloth dropping arc words. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit, it's a bit much. But um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Any, anything else for, for Doctor Who? No, I think you hit everything that I would have also commented on with that. I mean, particularly like Graham and um, Brian's relationship, I think is just the refusal to engage in like an outright antagonism um, works to their benefit. So, yeah, no. And also, I appreciate the show reiterated that smoking's not cool. And it's only good for starting fires to chase off scary cough monsters. Smoking's not cool, kids. Don't do mm-hmm. it. Yep, indeed. Um, what wins your week in genre? Probably Black Lightning again. Um, did we give it last week? I don't think I gave it last week. Um, but yeah, I'll give it to Black Lightning this week, though. Um, Supergirl comes pretty darn close. What about you? Yeah, for me, it's Supergirl and Doctor Who, um, though I did like Black Lightning quite a bit. Um, I'm, I guess I guess I should give it to Supergirl. I just don't trust it as much. I trust the new Doctor Who more than I trust <laughs> the new Supergirl. I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Now let's take a break and come back with our deep dive on season one of Netflix's The Dragon Prince. We'll be right back after this. War is full of uncertainty. We strike when the moon is highest. Moonshadow elves are dangerous elite fighters. Can't you just make peace with them? It's not that simple. There's history wrongs on both sides humans cut down the king of the dragons and destroyed his only egg the dragon prince justice will not be denied you need to see something this changes everything maybe it could stop the war it's up to us now we have to return this egg to zadia get out there and find them i'm gonna find a way to stop them after all Unstoppable is just another kind of stoppable. No, that's not really right.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week we are diving in with a show that we talked briefly about a couple weeks ago. Um, but we want to spend some time on because we are both fans of Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. And there is a new series from those creatives. So, of course, we're going to talk about it. And that's The Dragon Prince Season 1. This is a Netflix animated series. The first uh, season is nine episodes, and you can stream it all now. It has been renewed for a second season. And Noel, for our listeners who do not know, what is The Dragon Prince about? Right, so it's set in this uh, fantasy world where a long, long time ago, um, there was this big war um, because humans basically use dark magic, but they use it natural resources or magical resources from the magical side of the world to power that magic and there was a big war and apparently like the humans killed the dragon king and his egg and elves are attempting to assassinate a human king in the premiere and all this sort of stuff so this war has sort of been into a cold war-ish seems like state based on how people are talking within the narrative. And so that's where it picks up is that some elves have decided to take it upon themselves or have been ordered to. It's not super clear or I just wasn't paying super close attention (laughs) uh, to kill basically the leader of, I'm assuming what have are the five kingdoms Mm -hmm. and try to bring an end to the war this way. And some young kids, including a young uh, elf moon shadow elf assassin uh, gets caught up in this. And that is sort of where all of this starts. So it's a world with dragons. It's a world with magic and it's a world with uh, references to game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Because winter is coming. Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did really like the, the line read on that one. Yeah, uh, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, the sense of it's a world with magic, and there's natural magic, and there's unnatural magic, which you get by killing things, and uh, that power imbalance, throwing things out of whack. Um, this is a world that has dragons, but you don't see any, really, in the first season, but they exist but uh, yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting world. It's very honed in on the characters that we're following, as they uh, you know get into hijinks and take off on their quest. Um, but I think the the big the big part of Avatar: The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, if I had to pick a thing that made those shows so uh, successful and and made them uh, shows that I really enjoyed, it, it was the characters. And yes, they had a great mythology. Yes, it had really interesting and fun adventures. And yes, there was like a good overarching like uh, mythology and quests that they had to, you know, like they, the, the writers did a really good job of establishing the larger stakes of everything. But it just, I liked spending time with these people and I cared about them. And for, for me, I think that if the show can really hone in on that, the Dragon Prince uh, has the potential to be similarly successful. I wouldn't say as much, unless it really grows. But um, I do like these central characters that we get here. Um, and I'm trying to focus in on that, because there's a lot about this first season that has me just kind of arching an eyebrow and a little quizzical in the face and a little confused, because I would expect a much stronger plotted and paced season one from the writer's and creators of of these two other shows um 
What what did you think? Listeners already heard my thoughts a couple weeks ago. What did you think of the Dragon Prince season one? Well, we should note that it's uh, predominantly created by Aaron Ihaz, who was one of the head writers and directors of Avatar: The Last Airbender, but he wasn't one of the creators of that show. Um, one of oh, the other executive you. producers, yes. yeah. Uh, one of the other executive producers, and one of the reasons I was excited about it, and one of the guys who does a number of the storyboards for the episodes is Gina Carlo uh, Volupe, who did uh, the Green Lantern animated series, but he's also done some other work that I really, really like. Uh, so between the two of them, I was pretty excited about this. And uh, it was fine? Up, up question voice is sort of like the best thing I can say. I have some like significant problems um, with it. You talked about sort of the episode pacing. And I think that that's a large issue that they sort of addressed with The Verge. And we can get into that. Uh, I have huge problems with the animation, which I think... And I should note that when I say the animation, I mean the actual physical act of animating movements. I don't mean sort of the artistic... Uh, style, character design, or art direction, all of which I think is actually really good on this show. I like the character designs a lot. I like the costuming for these characters. I like the um, the visuals of the show, I think, are just really rich and really beautiful in stills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, let's talk about characters first and foremost then, since you brought up characters. And it's a weird show in which I want to like a lot of these characters. Um, and I see the show sort of like trying to poke me to like some characters, particularly um, uh, Soren and Claudia, but also being like, but they're kind of awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not in a fun awful, just in a legitimately awful kind of way. Whereas our central trio of Callum, Rayla, and Ezrin, and also, I guess, Bate, central quartet mm-hmm. um are all kind of fine i think that there's good chemistry between these these vo- vocal performances um but sometimes i just don't really latch on to them in any way shape or form and it's really telling that i think my favorite character is the character that we basically just spend two episodes sort of drifting through and that's amaya who's the best <laughs> <laughs> yeah no Amaya's pretty great we're going to talk more about her um, the, the central trio, I, you know, Jack Zena is really fun as Callum. He voiced Sokka in Korra uh-huh. and, um, no, sorry, Avatar. And, yeah. um, and, and it's absolutely the same energy here. Uh-huh. Really works for, for basically our, our lead. I think Rayla is really fun. Um, Paul Burroughs is the voice for that character it, with like, I want to say Irish accent. Is that Scottish? Scottish. It's more of a Scottish. Okay. Yeah, it's more of a Scottish brogue. Sorry, sorry, Brits, uh, and and yeah, other okay. people in that region of the world who are not British. Thank you very much. Not part of the United, United Kingdom. Um, the uh, but, but it's, I've, that's not an accent I'm used to hearing in the main character. So that was kind of fun, mm-hmm. and it also really yeah. heightens the um, otherness and separation of the t- of the human and the elf. Uh, Ezra is just cute and not much more yet <laughs> um, in in the first season, but there's there's potential there. But I, I do think there's a good camaraderie and they feel their age, which I think is significant. Um, the writers have done a pretty good job with them. Like you, you mentioned Claudia and Soren, and I actually really like both of them. You can see what they are setting up for either of those characters to become villains um, or to become good guys, depending on, you know, like I, I, I could buy a choice either way. My guess is they're going to have Soren become a good guy and Claudia become a villain. Uh, that's that's where I'm guessing this is going. But um, they could very easily 
go opposite or both one way or the other and 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 sell it. Um, I think you like you said, like we see it's kind of eerie, especially with Claudia. You see her just like crushing animals and sapping their life energy and but she's like you, the way that they convey it, it's clear she is not aware that there's a problem here. And I could would yeah. easily compare it to vegetarians looking at non-vegetarians like, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? And, and it was like, oh, it's just, it's, I need to eat. And it's chicken. Yeah. You know, um, and oh, but because we, so good, and we can see like the, the, there's enough energy put into humanizing uh, our villain of the piece who we see doing truly horrific things with this dark magic. And you can he see how Claudia. Butterfly, Kate. He has a butterfly. <laughs> exactly. And, and even you can see the steps to Claudia becoming that, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and that actually is really, for me, it was very nuanced and, and probably the most impressive part of the writing um, was the handling of those characters. Um, but then at the same time, st- structurally, like Callum, I really could have just called him Sokka. Like, I enjoy that character, but it did not feel... He does not feel distinct. He feels very much of a type, a hero type. Um, and uh, Rayla feels a little more distinct, but but there's not the specificity, I would hope, with the central trio yet. And maybe that'll come later, but after a whole first season, I was a little disappointed to not have more of that. Um, and there's a lot of, for me, problems with the the pacing and the structure of the season, which I'm sure we will talk more about. But but first, let's. I, I would love any. Do you have any other thoughts about the the central trio or some of the other writing for these characters? Well, I think you're right in that uh, Column and Rayla feel more archetypal than defined in any way, shape, or form, and it's kind of rough within nine episodes. Column feels like the sort of I can figure this out through grit and determination slash luck kind mm-hmm. of chosen one esque character. Yeah. And Rayla's our snark master, um, but also like the I, I'm really good at stabbing things type of character. And that's kind of what I'm good at. And that's all I'm good at. And then finding out that she's good at other things type of thing. Um, so there's there's potential for there's plenty of potential for growth, I think. But again, it becomes an issue of like. Within nine episodes, I don't expect a lot of growth by any stretch of the imagination, but we only get those nine episodes, so there's not a sense of like a journey necessarily. Um, the season falls, and this I think just happens with like character development. It all feels like a really long like prelude or pilot season. It falls into that Netflix pilot season thing really hard. I think it was like this is a proof of concept season. And I think that's kind of where, why no one sort of shifts too much, why the ending is generally sort of a clean-ish resolution in terms of that nothing is really achieved apart from what actually happens right at the end. Um, And that feels more like a way to sell toys. Um, Really (laughs) cute toys. Do not get me wrong. Very cute toys. Um, but also it just doesn't feel like the end of a particular chapter is, I think, something that you discussed. And also when they frame it as going back to that whole book chapter motif, it doesn't feel like the end of a book either necessarily. It feels Mm -hmm. like you're halfway through that first book waiting for the second half. Mm Mm-hmm. Indeed. The, um, the thing I will give them about that I really appreciate about Rayla, and uh, we're going to avoid spoilers here. 
Um, because I, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about this uh, show yet, so I feel like yeah. it may not have gotten made the rounds quite yet. Um, but it might be on people's like two C lists. Uh, but yeah. the one thing I will say about Rayla is there is a um, like a character choice that we see her make and come to terms with off screen. They like they just don't even spend any time with, and yes. and it's just um. It's so, it's so matter of fact, and so usually a show would try to wring a few episodes worth of angst out of a choice and some consequences that those choice that choice like really significant life altering consequences that she will face. That she's just like, yep, I'm gonna deal with that. That's gonna it's gonna suck. That's gonna happen, and that's you know, yeah, that's that's the choice I made in the pilot, guys. <laughs> um, and I'm not second guessing it. I'm not going to to you know try to hem and haw about it. There's there was a amount of maturity to that that I really was surprised by and appreciated. Um and then what else? Uh I guess before we leave characters, we do need to talk about Am- Amaya more because she's awesome. Um yeah. but the other thing I would say is uh Viren the uh and the king too. Uh they're the, Harrow. And, Harrow, yeah. Any other thoughts about them? I really liked um I wanted more time with Harrow than necessarily what we get in this season uh, in terms of exploring sort of the struggles. There's so much like little bits of world building that they keep hinting at that I kind of just went, oh, no, no, no. Why are we going on this quest right now? (laughs) Please explain a little bit more about the structure of this side of the continent, basically. Um, so I liked Harrow. I just wish we had gotten like a little more time with him than what we do get here. Um, Um, Do you think... He's actually not going to return in some form in the narrative. Well, I mean, they're the the little the little bracelet fell away. So. Yeah, but you know, I'm just saying, snake bite. Yeah, no, I mean that's totally a possibility, and so it's, it's super. It is admittedly very unclear. They, they, um, they very definitely you have certain things happen off screen that they yeah. will likely have flashbacks to later. Yeah. Um, and I think Viren's fine. Um, I sort of like how the... I is similar in regards to, like, Claudia's sort of unawareness of, like, the cost, as it were. Viren's awareness and willingness to engage in the costs, I think, is for a, a allegedly greater good type of thing. Slash, the guy's just kind of power-hungry. Um... I think is really well played out, especially by the end. Um, and that's really good. And I think it, it's good. Yeah, I, I like what they're doing with Viren. And I like um, Jason Simpson's performance as Viren, I think is really good as well. Um, but it's also one of those things where, again, the whole nine season, nine season, nine episode thing just makes everything feel really compact in terms of wanting to get to where they get to at the end, especially with Viren that just kind of compresses a lot of this that I would have liked to have a little bit more time with. Indeed. Um, we've mentioned Amaya now several times. Amaya is the aunt of Callum and, and Ezrin and uh, the, the the sister of their mother who has died long before the action of the, of the show. And she is deaf. And she is a badass, like, general or something. And they mm-hmm. developed a sign language for her. Like, I think it's yes. a whole separate sign language, right? Not, like, ASL or something. That I can't answer. I, I assume that it's a whole other uh, separate sign language for it, though. Yeah. 
yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> That's so cool. I haven't seen that before. And uh, yeah, hopefully she will return. Not only because she's an awesome and interesting and smart character, and she adds nuance and complexity to uh, the uh, potential villainous side of things. Uh, as a person who is not a villain, but it could be manipulated by the villain or they, they, they do a pretty good job of, at least in my opinion with Viren of shading his motivations where there's definitely, he wants power, but I think they also sell the earnestness of what, that he believes in what he's doing for many other reasons as well. Um, so, so Amaya, you know, is only in a couple episodes, but she really makes an impact. And just that decision to have a deaf character in command authority and like, clearly respected by everyone around her, uh, something that I really appreciated. Yeah, it's really, really great. And I, I like that you chose to say make an impact because she just hits things with her big shield a lot, and it's very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is, is that they, her personality comes through really clearly through her translator, Gren, who... Oh, poor sweet Gren. Poor Gren. Poor, yeah. poor sweet Gren. <laughs> he would very much like to try some exotic fruits. Poor sweet Gren. <laughs> uh, um, and so, and I like that, but even like how they animate her through facial expressions, how, so like that whole thing about like um, calling almost literal bullshit um, <laughs> on um, Viren's little speech uh, comes through really, really nicely, even without Gren. I mean, you can sort of see it play out um, in the animation that they put on her face, which I really, really appreciate. So there's an attention to detail here that I really appreciate. And hopefully it's a good attention to detail, not a lazy attention to detail. Um, as someone who's not deaf and has very limited exposure to that particular community. Yeah, and if you do have more connection to that community, please do reach out with your thoughts on this if you, if you have sought out Dragon Prince. I would appreciate hearing from um, people who actually like know sign language, if, if there's various language languages, if, if there are connections here, if this is an original creation for this show. Um, okay, let's talk about some of the rest of this. Positive things first. Anything else positive you want to go for here? I mean, Bates really cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the the pet glow toad. Yes, that's the pet glow toad uh, who is pretty cute. Um, let's see, was there anything else? The music's fine-ish. Um, it's not as like rousing as I was hoping it was going to be. Um, it doesn't really stand out. Um, I mean, the one thing that we haven't really discussed is that the show is legitimately very funny at points, which I really, really appreciate. There's a number of really good, like, deadpan humor or really just... You can tell that this is definitely from people with Avatar and Korra sensibilities and humor really clearly. I think that's the thing that comes through most clearly in this, is the sense of humor. Is There's a very clear through line for me between the those two shows and this one in terms of its humor. And it's I think it's pretty funny um, when it doesn't like play down a little bit, which it does, I feel like, sometimes with um, to cater to a slightly younger audience. Um, but that aside, I mean, even Last Airbender did that for like half of book one before they sort of course corrected a little bit on that front. So I think the humor is probably the only other really kind of big thing I can think of. Uh, is there anything else particularly positive for you? 
I liked um, some of the action set pieces that we got. I thought that they were well-structured. Um, I liked the detail about Moonshadow Elves um, becoming almost invisible in the moonlight, and I thought they animated that. Like, the like the way they showed that, I thought worked. Um, there was some creative world-building that I like, and mostly it's just... It, first of all, it's a really easy watch. Like you can bit, like I said before, you can binge it in a day, easy. Uh, and I think there's a lot of pieces here that should be part of a show that grows into something much better. Like there's no reason that this can't grow into a much better show. I think. Um, but now let's start nitpicking because I just I don't understand the pa- the decisions with the pacing. Like it's a nine episode first season, and like your first four maybe, are all set up to even just get your team together and discover the thing that's going to be, like, the quest. And then you have five... Like, it's so weird. It's paced so weird. Um, You mentioned uh, in an interview with the creators at The Verge. Um, what For our listeners who don't know, I'll link this in the show notes, but what what is this about? Right, so... um that the first season for a lot of people felt really short. And I think that's a fair critique of this season. And in talking to The Verge, um, the creators, um, Ihaz and um, Justin um, Richmond? Richmond, yeah. Yeah, Justin Richmond. Um, basically told The Verge that they crafted the show with, and I'm quoting directly from The Verge piece here, that with the expectation that the viewers would binge watch it, so they thought of The Dragon Prince more as an extra-long feature than a series, so the complaints took them by surprise. And I promptly went, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do an extra-long feature mentality. No, that's bad, bad. Thinking people are going to binge it doesn't mean you should throw out the rules of story structure and satisfying narrative setups and payoffs. Come on. Yeah. That's that's not how this works. And so, but addressing, and I'm continuing, but addressing the initial season as one story, and assuming viewers might watch it all in one sitting, let the creators assume that their audience would remember all the finer details from episode to episode. That's fine. That's Remembering the it, remaining details from episode to episode isn't the issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that there's the details are very compressed. <laughs> and that's that's the larger issue. Well, and for me, it's not even that. Yes, that is an issue. And I do appreciate that it doesn't talk down to the audience. But if you're only going to do nine episodes, why are you setting up like this particular quest that you have no intention of getting them to to some significant mile marker on? Like, why would you like say, okay... We we got we got the gang together. It took like I don't know three or four episodes. We got the gang together. We're gonna go here, and then and then you don't have them actually go there <laughs> at all. You take a two episode detour to a lodge for a thing so they can pick up a thing that will that doesn't come into play in the first season. And, and well, it does to a certain degree. They just don't understand how it does. But you know what I mean, like yes, they. It's like if you're if you don't know that you have a season two already, then you just detoured, which apparently it just got renewed, so they didn't. You just detoured and wasted time, and you're not paying off the narrative you set up, so that we can take this side quest uh, and meet Amaya. Which is don't get me wrong, I Amaya's great, but they could have incorporated her in many other ways, um, and and then 
set up a different side quest that you're not going to really pay off either, and then get back to the first quest, sort of, but then get detoured again. Like, it's so unsatisfying. It's, it's you're doing a D&D adventure, and you never get, like, you have the, the main villain monologue at you, and then you have to go get them, and then you never get them. <laughs> and then you stop the quest for the day, and who knows if you're going to have another time. Like, if it's a one-shot, if you're thinking of this as an extra-long movie, you have to... I think to... they're thinking of the entire series as an extra-long movie, as opposed oh, to, like... Oh, no. Yeah, and see, that's... I think that's where they're coming from, as opposed to this is a... I think that's what that statement means, as opposed to the season is an extra-long movie, because it's... No, it's not. Otherwise, it's just... It's not even a good movie at that point, then. <laughs> yeah, we don't like. I mean, a lot of some people clearly do, but a lot of us don't don't even like these big mega two part blockbuster movies because they annoyingly end on cliffhangers that don't actually matter. Um, I'm looking at you, Infinity War, but also you know some of the Harry Potter pacing as well. Uh, so to the, like, we're gonna have a multi season story that we're gonna structure in that way. Like, no. Boorns. Okay, I've complained about this enough. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that? Or, well, no. I, and I think I think that, like we sort of alluded to when we were discussing characters, is that it just hurts characters when they sort of structure this the way that they do. And I can appreciate that there's a desire to take your time with like rolling things out, but again, you're not ending on a way that feels like a necessarily milestone i know that the show wants it to feel like one how with what happens and it but that's the thing is that it doesn't it just it doesn't feel like one and that's that's really kind of frustrating and that there's a more power that the big bad is a little more powerful by the end seemingly and this kind of stuff is just like it again it feels like a pilot season as opposed to a full season type of thing it feels like a nine episode pilot and that's not what you want um from a television show yeah that is uh yeah pilots are usually not great yeah nine pilots is not better (laughs) No, it's not. So, or 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 one three and a half hour long pilot, also yeah. not not better. Um, okay, how about any other aspects? You want to talk about the animation? I do want to talk about the animation. So the show uses a what ends up looking like a really sort of good um, uses three dimensional like computer models against what feel like a number of times a sort of like two D painted back background it's not like that like the the computer and it, it's cg throughout um but it it has a really good feel but the characters themselves specifically feel much more three-dimensional than necessary the landscapes and their backgrounds do which i think kind of presents kind of a neat effect a little bit um but the result is is that and uh lupe talked about this in a reddit thread so i'm just going to read his thing to sort of explain what i'm talking about because it it explains what's happening here um so he says that animating in cg allows us to have more dynamic camera angles and lighting which is very true of this show and it looks really good and much more character detail much more detailed character model which i'm super happy with he says which is also very true um, but one of the dangers of animating CG, especially when you're moving at a breakneck TV schedule, is that the characters can look a little floaty, which is also an accurate thing that can happen with CG animation, especially on CG television um, shows. Like, I mean, like we talk about Clone think- Wars. 
Yeah, they can do that in Clone Wars. They can also do that, I mean, even to, like, think back to, like, friggin' Reboot. Um, mm-hmm. And the floatiness of those characters is a really good example of what he's talking about. So he says, to correct this, we looked at a lot of anime, including Miyazaki, and noticed that they draw 8 to nine. 8 to 12 frames per second instead of the usual 24 frames per second which is closer to a Pixar or Disney feature this is what you and I and most western audiences are used to is the 24 frames per second so we asked our animators to emulate this approach for the 8 to 12 frames per second the results can look staccato or choppy he says but it offsets that choppy feel um, and then he says we're aware that not everyone loved the decision <laughs> The good news is that this kind of thing can be dialed in if people felt we went too far. That is assuming, of course, we get more episodes one day because this thread took place like a month ago. Um, so this is what I'm talking about when I say that the animation looks a little slow and choppy is that they're moving at somewhere less between 24 frames per second, which is normally how our eyes perceive any type of motion, whether it's animated or sort of on celluloid live action sort of frames frames per second. That's what looks natural to our eye. So when he's talking about they, they looked at a lot of anime, limited animation to save money, <laughs> they wouldn't an, they wouldn't animate all all the frame movements to save money because that animating all the frame movements costs money and time. Yeah. It's so, the old uh, Scooby Doo. Yeah, it's the old Scooby Doo. It's the Fred old Astro Boy. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly like that. So you animate only certain things that are pivotal to the actual scene. Um, but when you do it over the entire thing, everyone looks really choppy. Character movements look really weird. I was watching this with my person, and she's just like, this looks really good. But it also looks like one of your video games that you play sometimes, where the character models aren't really moving exactly right with the words. And I don't mean like in a dub sense, just in a, they're not moving at the right speed to match the words that are coming out of their mouths almost. And so... Our movements, body movements, and all that kind of stuff feels can feel really choppy and a really unnerving way. Um, and it's kind of easy to get used to it, but it's also still then it just feels a little um, uncanny, sort of like puppetry almost. That also just feels kind of weird. So it was really irritating for me um, because I think that again the art design uh the character the character models are all really beautiful and there are shots in this show that really benefit from the dynamic camera angles and lighting that he discusses in this but then there's like that whole panoramic fight scene where things are going really slowly because of the reduced frame rate and it's not even done like a bullet time sort of reduced frame rate of like taking it all in. It's no, we just didn't have, we just didn't put the frame rate in to speed this up so, so that we could get like this panoramic shot. And it's a weird trade off that doesn't really work for me. And it's something that they also discussed in a separate interview with The Verge, because um, The Verge did a very lengthy interview with them, that they're just like, yeah, well, we can't correct it entirely, just be- from a production standpoint of this is how we're making the show now. But they can adjust the frame rate um, and speed it up a little bit. So it's finding that happy medium, I think, that's going to be really difficult, especially if they're really wanting to avoid that floatiness. Um but it's one of the it's one of those weird trade-offs that it's just really difficult to hit. And either you just kind of roll with the floatiness, which I think is something that Clone Wars generally did and benefited from by being like, well, the force makes a lot of things happen, so we can make this work. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but it's still, there's no force here. So they have to figure out a way to balance it. And hopefully they, given that they're getting another one, they can find a way to find a frame rate that doesn't quite look as weird, but mm-hmm. it'll, it'll take a little bit of time to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond to the reactions from their viewers it, it, with the season two. And, uh, did they announce, uh, did Netflix announce how many episodes Season two will be? Not to my knowledge, no. They just have put the, um, whatchamacallits, the, that they got a season two, which is good. Yeah. So, um. Okay, we'll see. Because that'll yeah. be, that'll be interesting too. If, if it's another, like, nine episode season, or if they, like, commit to and do, like, a 20 episode season and it's much more traditionally paced, that would, uh, be something... Personally, I would be excited about, but we'll see. Um, yeah, and I don't think that a 20-episode season's probably in the cards. Probably um, not. But I'd be happy with, like, a 12- to 13-episode season of this show, and I think that would work just fine for them. I think an additional five episodes would make a world of difference. Well, and again, even if it's not that, then just changing the way that they're structuring and pacing mm-hmm. the season. So if you're going to be streamlined, then you need to be streamlined. Then we don't yeah. get to have the, you know, random delay episode in the middle which is has fun new characters we meet just like flavor characters for an episode who maybe come back two years later yeah. like but right now mm, yeah not... or we don't spend what feels like a really long time on that caldera like i feel like we're on that caldera for episodes <laughs> yeah that's the yeah yep yep indeed um so overall i'm just glad that i watched it i enjoyed it uh i will be recommending it to specific people that i think will enjoy the world and the the characters but uh i yeah i was a little i was a little disappointed overall while still optimistic about what the future may hold for this yeah we're in the same boat with this is and i was like very excited about it when it was announced um as you'll recall yeah and i was upset that you didn't have time to go to the san diego comic-con <laughs> <laughs> panel because it conflicted with something else that sounded much more interesting to be fair um so yeah hopefully like season two improves in a number of fashions um Mm -hmm. and that they take that leap yeah fingers crossed um well do you recommend people check it out i think so like you said it's a really easy binge um and i think that there's there's enjoyable stuff but it's also i'm almost done with hilda and i'd rather people watch hilda kate okay and i I will probably talk about hilda maybe not next week but the week after since um scheduling wise but Oh, Hilda's really good, everyone. You should watch Hilda. <laughs> okay. Noted. I will go check that out. Um, yeah. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a po- post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. Uh, send us an email to televerse at gmail.com. You can leave us a rating review on iTunes. We have an M4A chapter feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. And of course, you can also find us in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews there as well. And we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. (laughs) 